you know, you hear all about figgy pudding, but I've never had a figgy pudding and thinking, well, maybe I could make a figgy pudding. Yeah. Well, Mm -hmm. it's interesting you should sing the song because I was like, what is figgy pudding? And I looked at the lyrics to We Wish You a Merry Christmas. It has five stanzas. Stanza one is We Wish You a Merry Christmas. We Wish You a Merry Christmas. Stanza five is We Wish You Merry Christmas. And stanzas two through four are all about figgy pudding. You know, demanding figgy pudding. We love figgy pudding. Everything's figgy pudding. And I'm starting to think like maybe it was some sort of viral marketing campaign by big fig conglomerates to uh, <laughs> to get us all to eat figgy pudding. Someone got high and really wanted some figgy pudding. Recorded in our Nerdhaven studios, this is Pop Medieval, with your hosts, Dr. Richard Scott Noakes and Nina McIntyre discussing the intersection of medieval literature and pop culture on a semi-weekly basis. And now, back to your podcast. What, Nina? What, Doc? Well, this year for Christmas, I decided I was going to send you and Engineer Mike to cooking school. And so I arranged for you both to study with the Blackfriars and the Institute of uh, Medieval and Early Modern Studies with their Eat Medieval program. Yeah, I don't know whether I should be insulted because I don't know whether that is a comment on my cooking skills, but I know that the quickest way to my heart is through my stomach. So I'll accept it as a compliment and say, thank you. I appreciate this gift. (laughs) Well, I'm glad you like it. So just to pull back the curtain a little bit here, uh, so the listeners will know a little bit about this. um, The Blackfriars and the Institute of Medieval and Early Modern Studies, they have this program where I think it's over five days they would teach you cooking now that's in England and mm-hmm. you all are on the eastern state of the United States mm-hmm. now for they they do other things as well I think this is the second of these kind of virtual cooking classes they've done uh, they typically do a whole lot of different lectures and I guess luncheons but of course you would need to be in in Durham, England, in order to do that, because Blackfriars works with Durham University uh, on this. And so I myself actually wasn't 100% certain how this was going to work. So I saw that there was this Christmas feast. I think it was called... A A Christmas feast, yeah. A Christmas feast, yes. Beyond that, I didn't actually know exactly how it was going to work. And also, just to let the listener know, I very intentionally didn't ask. It was very... I had a great lack of curiosity in this uh, when talking to you. I would ask no follow-up questions because I wanted mm-hmm. to come at this and ask questions that the listener would ask because I, I also don't know. Okay, so you got the the link. What happened when you clicked the link? What showed up? So after you click the link, you are then given access via a password to the course materials, which includes the recipes, the ingredients, videos, and the historical stuff too. And then after that, you can go shopping. You can get the ingredients from your local grocery store and you can then access the materials and then begin. It's relatively simple. It's just like any type of cooking website, except for this is behind a a password protected paywall type thing. Fairly simple, fairly straightforward. And it's a lot of fun too. There are a lot of recipes. It's a five day course, this Christmas feast. For each day, there are three recipes that you can cook. There's a side, there's an entree, and there's a dessert. That's for each of the five days. Now that's a lot of cooking. So you could cook all three of them if you wanted to. You could have theoretically cooked 15 different dishes. Absolutely, yeah. 
And we decided because, you know, we have day jobs and we have um, not a lot of time in the evenings, we decided to pick one per day unless something looked really, really good. We decided to just pick one per day. Often the sides were enough for both of us. It was a lot of food. I hmm. do not get me wrong. This is a lot of food. Even the sides turned out to be enough for an entree for us. This is a feast. This is imagining that you are, that, that you're entertaining. Yes, this is a feast. The, yeah. They are not, they are not exaggerating when they say a Christmas feast. Okay. So one of the things that, that Mrs. Awesome and I were talking a little bit about when we were considering this was the question of ingredients. So mm-hmm. we, we weren't certain like how many of the ingredients, some, some ingredients might be things which would be less readily available today than they would be in the Middle Ages, we imagined. Or also mm-hmm. occasionally there are ingredients that are much more common in England and harder to get maybe in the United States. So how did you find all that? Dead simple. Mm-hmm. So you got to remember there are old world foods and there are new world foods. So most of our meals consisted of old world food. So you're not going to see a lot of tomatoes. There was a difference between broad beans and green beans Mm. which i found interesting and we had to substitute green beans for broad beans and there was actually a note in one of the recipes that said you can substitute green beans instead of broad beans because green beans at the time did not exist in england but still finding these the food the materials the ingredients are not hard to do they still exist we still cultivate these foods and you can get them at your local grocery store or your local farmer's market or wherever you get your grocery it wasn't difficult to source these ingredients not at all no i mean you're they're very plain so the most difficult ingredient we had finding was parsnips Hmm. so again I think it may have been a seasonal thing or it may have just been a location thing. Still, we grow them in, we grow them in the South. Uh, I know we grow them up in Michigan where I'm from. Again, that was just one. There aren't any exotic spices that are used in these meals. There aren't any exotic herbs. Mm-hmm. Again, trade was not an issue at this time, as, as you know, and as you could probably explain. So if you're wanting to try this recipe series, you're not going to have any difficulty creating these uh, recipes. Okay. I'll say also the other thing I was a little concerned about was the reverse, was that it would be bland because I've had students very <laughs> often who cooked. Mm-hmm. Occasionally for my medieval literature course, we'll do a material culture project uh, yeah. from one of the works of literature that, that we look at. It has recipes in it. And sometimes yeah. those recipes are a little bland, but yeah. it sounds like the, they didn't turn out bland. We'll, we'll get into the details of each one, but it sounds like you didn't find them very bland either. Well, again, we'll talk about that when it comes to each recipe. There were some that I liked more than others. There were some that I kind of wish mm, just a little bit of salt, a little bit of pepper. But again, those spices weren't readily available, so you're not going to use them. I wanted to stay authentic to the recipes, so I'm not going to put a lot of seasoning on them. Seasoning wasn't widely available, but your mileage may vary. Your palate's going to vary. A lot of the herbs did the heavy lifting in the recipes, especially when it comes to the sooty cakes, which we'll, we'll talk about in a minute here. Yeah, I would say, depending on which recipe you choose, if you choose an herb-heavy recipe, you're you're going to be a little bit happier. If you choose something that's a little bit light on herbs, then, eh, yeah, it's going to be a little bit bland. You're going to have to to be choosy with these recipes. So before we get into the actual recipes that you made, these five recipes, 
was it just a list of ingredients? Did they have videos of people explaining it to you? How, how did you interact with the course itself? Because they're, of course, in the UK, so they're going to mm -hmm. be in a very different time zone than when you're cooking dinner here. So how, how did all that work? Good question. Well, I believe there were live classes, which is held during UK time. Unfortunately, that's like two in the afternoon Eastern time, which is just not doable for us. However, they do have recordings of their classes or maybe the after effects of that, which we watched later on that night when we made the recipe itself. So you could watch that, but they also had the recipe printed out in PDF form, which we could go through and read as well. So it, it's very accessible regardless of how you want to make the recipe. And also a list of ingredients that you could get beforehand. So we went shopping, I think we went shopping on Sunday. So we had all the ingredients set out for us. We didn't have to scramble each day, make sure that we had everything together. Okay, so let's start talking about these five different recipes that sure. you made. Okay. Now, as we get into them, I guess one thing I'm wondering is if you had to describe them as more medieval or more Christmassy, how would you, because mm. they have these other courses that are not Christmas courses. So I wondered what, if this felt medieval, these different dishes felt Christmassy. Sorry. That is a very good question because had you served me any of these five dishes, I would not have described any of them as Christmassy. Okay. Maybe number five, but even then, uh, no, I, they were all very medieval. Okay. Yeah. But not at all Christmassy. It's a surprise to me as well. And maybe it's just the five that we picked, but they're surprisingly not modernly Christmassy. Yeah. We'll, we'll put it at that. I think two Christmas trends have changed over time. One of my favorite episodes from American Christmas history has little to do directly with Christmas. It's something called the eggnog riot at West Point. Suddenly eggnog had become the thing and uh, the... <laughs> Base commander didn't want them having eggnog and there was a crackdown and they rebelled against it and they got drunk and things got out of hand and a bunch of students in the end got court-martialed because it was a riot that went on. Uh, I mean, there were shots fired. It was really quite the riot over eggnog. The reason that that's really fascinating is one of the people who was involved, deeply involved, one of the ringleaders, but ended up not getting court-martialed or punished at all was Jefferson Davis, who later became the president mm. of the Confederacy. I understand Nog existed in the Middle Ages, I believe, but at that time, suddenly it became associated with Christmas. Yeah. So these things will come and go. So I wasn't sure like if they'd done something to to modern Christmas it up, you know. Well, let, let's hear about the individual dishes. So what did you make on sure. day one? Day one is sooty cakes. These are very German, I should mention, too. A, a lot of these are taken directly from German cookbooks or German recipe books. So sooty cakes is spelled S-O-O-T-Y, mm -hmm. uh, as in like soot. Soot gets all over them. And that's because you have to burn the top or singe the top. Or in this case, we broiled the top of oh, them. It's, it's literal um, soot. I assume yes, there, was some sort soot. Of, there was some sort of dark covering that made them look sooty. But no, the actual, yep. you actually burn the top. Yep, you actually burn the top. Mm -hmm. If you have a kitchen torch or like a creme brulee torch, I think you can get the same effect, mm -hmm. which is awesome. I really wish we had a creme brulee torch just for fun so we could have done this. But uh, we just, we got the same effect in our, our oven Broiler. Basically, what you do to make this is you take parsley, sage, some melted butter, and some beaten eggs, along with some white cheese. And I believe we used we used gouda. Oh, gouda, yeah. Okay. Yeah, and again, I 
don't know if Gouda is period accurate, but that's what we found. And bacon. We cheated just a little bit here. I know where I'm saying be authentic, be authentic, but we got a little bag of pre-made bacon, like mm -hmm. because we did not want to stay up really late making bacon and chopping it up and all that either. Also grated bread or breadcrumbs. Anyway, you mix this all together bake it in the oven, and it comes out like a little cake. So when you say a little cake, is it like a flat cake, like a pancake, or does it rise? No, it's a little flat cake. It, mm -hmm. it doesn't rise like bread or anything. Mm -hmm. And then you have to singe the top, either the broiler or the torch or whatever you have. Then you cut it in half and you eat it. And it's really, really good. The herbs, the parsley and the sage, again, do the heavy lifting for all this, mm -hmm. but it's really, really good. And it will fill you up. It looks small. Like, don't underestimate this meal. This is a side. This is listed as a side. But it was enough to fill both of us up. So it's the limbus bread of, of medieval Germany, basically. It is. Yeah. <laughs> it is. So you mentioned you added the bacon in mm -hmm. one of the later steps. Is it yeah. almost like a dumpling or is the bacon where the like there's an, an inside of bacon or is it more like a chocolate chip cookie no. but, but but bacon chips? No, it, it's like a chocolate chip cookie oh, okay. only with bacon. <laughs> it's, it's a bread that you have bacon and this egg mixture all together. Now, one thing I did add to this is just because I was, it was early in the recipe making and I wanted to make sure this was enough. I added a fried egg. We had one extra egg and I added a fried egg to the top of it. And that was too much. Mm -hmm. That was too much food. And I do not recommend this. Although I do like adding fried eggs to the top of things. It's one of my favorite things to do to meals, to burgers, to sandwiches, just about everything. So don't do this step. If you have an extra egg, do not add a fried egg to the top of your sooty cake. So what was the effect of sooting the top of it? Why, what did that do to the flavor? It gives it a nice charred taste to it, a nice smoky taste. Ah. It feels really good. Like it's really good for texture. You know, when you cook food, 50% of cooking food is all about the texture as well as how it tastes. But it really does improve the texture of the sooty cakes and it keeps it together too. Okay, so I'm going to ask a question sure. of both you and Engineer Mike and he can hold up his fingers if he doesn't want to, uh, if he doesn't <laughs> want to speak up here. Uh, but I'm going to ask you to rate each of these dishes and I'm going to give you the okay. scale. The scale is one. It was disgusting. I'm glad I learned to cook it, but I'm never, ever doing that again. Five. Uh, if I ever have to cook something, if I want to show off that I can cook something authentic and medieval, I'll cook this again. To 10, this is great. I'm adding it to my oeuvre of recipes. That would be the scale. How would you rate sooty cakes? One being the lowest, 10 being the highest. I'm giving this a nine out of 10. Wow, 9 and, out of 10 for sooty yeah. cakes. And it sounds like this is a relatively easy dish, right? This is very easy to make. It mm -hmm. doesn't take long. None of these dishes that we made take very long at all. Like, mm -hmm. I think all less than 30 minutes. Wow, all less than 30 minutes. Spoiler alert, this was my favorite of all five. Okay, days. sooty cakes was your favorite. All right. It was my favorite, yeah. All and right. because I was so prepared for this to not be enough food, and I was so prepared for it to be bland... And I was wrong on both counts. I have to tell the, the listener something, which is very important. I found a recipe for mm. this very complex, slow-cooked, festive chicken dish that I spent all night preparing. I prepared this chicken dish, and about an hour before we started recording, uh, Mrs. Awesome and I finally mm. were able to eat this festive <laughs> creamy chicken dish mm -hmm. and it was bad 
it wasn't terrible oh, and inedible, but no. it was bad. It was it was complex and interesting, but it was bad. So I have to confess, my talk today is aside from trying to entertain the the listener and, and inform the listener, I'm actually looking for things, some festive things to do this year as well. So Sooty Cakes is going to have to go on my on on my short list. All right. Well, I will share that recipe with you if okay. I can. I don't know if I'm breaking protocol by sharing this recipe, but I highly recommend Sooty Cakes. You could cakes. just share it with me and don't 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 <laughs> tell Blackfriars. I won't tell them, and I won't share okay. with them. It's all secret, secret recipes. And sadly, I must segue into day two. Uh Uh-oh. All right. So day two, the recipe was a recipe for beans. And that's what it was called. A recipe for beans. There was no fancy term for it. Nothing like that. Like study cakes. It was just a recipe for beans. Mm -hmm. And this is where we get into the discussion about broad beans versus green beans. And this is where they suggested green beans instead of broad beans. So this was green beans with breadcrumbs which they suggested you make on your own. So we took white bread. That was the recipe was white bread, not wheat bread, not... um, Hmm, Interesting. No other bread other than white bread. I believe this was an upper class recipe. Mm -hmm. This was not for peasants or any... Not for the poors, as uh, we should sadly say. So it's beans, broad beans or green beans. It's vegetable stock. More of that bacon. So if you didn't use all the bacon in your sooty cakes, you're going to use the rest of it in this recipe. The white bread. This is where you use white pepper. And this is the first time I've seen any spice in any of these recipes. Not that there aren't because we're, again, we're only using one recipe per day. Caraway seeds, Hmm. which you have to grind up. White wine vinegar. And then a quarter cup of light beer. And I believe we used a white or a light German beer and then we drank the rest of it <laughs> because we like beer in our house. A pinch of saffron, Ooh, yeah. which, yeah, it, that can be pretty expensive. Yes, it so, sure is. yeah, be careful how much you spend. And then salt to taste. Mm-hmm. So, there are some spices in this recipe, and, and that's what gives it away that this is more for maybe a lord or a lady. Well, the, the saffron gives that away. Saffron is so expensive exactly. even today. Yeah. This recipe, without going into the exact details, You put the beans in a pot, you add the breadcrumbs to it, you grind up the caraway seeds, stir it in, that's just about it. Mm -hmm. There's really nothing more artful than that. The presentation is absolutely awful. I remember I sent you a picture of it. It has the appearance of vomit. (laughs) Yeah, if you guys were looking to make this presentation, I'm sorry, but it's really bad. My suggestion is if you're going to do this, I think the one thing we did probably a bit wrong was we should have dried or maybe should have cooked the breadcrumbs a little bit longer because when we dumped the breadcrumbs, which were made, were pulled from actual bread, mm-hmm. they came out really soggy, just uh, mixed yeah. around in the green beans. Again, this is another side. This looked absolutely terrible. And it tasted, eh, fine. Even with all those spices, with the saffron, the caraway seeds, the, the pepper, the salt, it just wasn't a thing. Okay, so how are we going to rate a recipe for beans? On our scale, we have. I'm going to go with a four. Okay. Engineer, oh, engineer Mike says Mike's five. Going five. Yeah. You're going with four. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's just, you can get a can of green beans and from the store and mix it with, I don't know, beanie weenies. I, I don't know what people... <laughs> 
So this this is not going to replace green bean casserole for the traditional no. American festive meal. It's really not. And the recommendation with this was uh, recommended to serve with fish. And we just had it with tuna casserole. Mm-hmm. So, and the tuna casserole we make is really good. <laughs> so <laughs> preferred the tuna casserole to it. So I pass on on the recipe for beans. It was okay. just nothing. Also, the name doesn't doesn't lend much to it. A recipe no, for beans. You could have done better than that. Day three fared a little bit better. That was a dessert. That was called creme bastard. Oh, well. Excellent name here. Sometimes you have to look into the heritage of your creme. Yeah. Make sure it's, it's <laughs> legitimately really born. Right. No shaming the creme. <laughs> so this was very dairy heavy. Like, I mean, seriously, it was crossed between a custard and an eggnog, but it was mm-hmm. not too sweet. Like mm-hmm. there was not a lot of sugar in it that I remember. So a lot of egg whites, a lot of full fat milk, mm-hmm. some honey, some nutmeg, some salt, heavy cream. Only four teaspoons of sugar and four tablespoons of brandy. We substituted that with rum because we didn't have any brandy. And also I hate the taste of brandy. So we substituted it with rum. Again, very dairy heavy. So if you are someone who is extremely lactose intolerant, do not try this recipe. Even if you are lightly lactose intolerant, do not try this recipe. (laughs) This one actually sounds very Christmassy to me in that, you know, it's the time of year when people... Yeah, where people say... You know what? I'm not so worried about how fatty and how sweet my food is. We're feasting. This is a party. This isn't yeah. part of my everyday meal. I didn't really care for it. I thought it was a lot of work to give just eggnog you ate with a spoon. Mm-hmm. It was fine. Engineer Mike liked it a little bit more than I did. Oh, he's giving it a 10. Yeah, he loved it. I'm going to give it. I'll probably give it a six. Okay. So Engineer Mike really loved it, but you were like on the high side of meh. Yeah, again, like you said, it would probably be something that I would eat during the holidays, knowing Mm -hmm. full well that this is going to destroy me the next day. (laughs) But it's fine. Like, at least it's not too sweet. Like, you know me, I'm not a big fan of heavy sweets, Mm -hmm. and I'm also not a big fan of dairy, but Mm -hmm. uh, this this is fine. And also, I love the name. I think the name is great. They did a wonderful job with that. Day four, welcome to our first entree. This is the very first entree, and I think it's the only entree. Um, day four is leek casserole. Bland on the name. Did you say lake or leek? Leek. Leek as casserole. In, yeah, not a spring onion, but a leek. This is a, this is a buttery dish. Hmm. This is interesting. I, I believe this is one of the first dishes we have where there's butter in it. And Engineer Mike pointed out why this is a high class dish. I'm looking through the ingredients right now. And I believe at one point, Butter was a sin to consume, at least from a Catholic standpoint. And that reminds me of that scene in The Witch, like toward the end, where Satan (laughs) approaches Thomason and says, he whispers, uh, whilst thou want to taste butter in your mouth or something Mm. like that. Or whilst that, yeah. We were trying to think, oh, wow, is this why butter was a sin or is this why this recipe has a sin i don't know off the top of my head i'll have to check and see you know of course this is i mean regular listeners will know that one of the caveats we always have is you know we're talking about the middle ages we're talking about lots and lots of cultures over centuries so Mm -hmm. i am not familiar with the idea of butter being a sin but it wouldn't shock me at all to find out that during certain centuries and certain times it was so i'll have to look into that to see if that was the case 
So this recipe has, this recipe is the one with the parsnip in it. Oh. So it's got the parsnip, the leek, some oil, some almond milk, rice flour, some Dijon mustard, which blew my mind. Like mm. I did not realize there was Dijon mustard hmm. um, for a recipe like this. A little bit of salt and pepper, and of course some breadcrumbs. Again, very, very heavy. Mm-hmm. Not heavy on the taste, kind of bland. Like you were asking about something that was bland to taste. This was bland, but it was super filling. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, it sits on you. It's really, really heavy, but it's hearty tasting. Mm-hmm. So it's one of those few meals where I would say I would recommend it. But if I were to do this outside of this exercise, I would be adding something like hot sauce to it or okay. something with, with more spice to mm-hmm. it. Oh, that's why it was bland. We found out this is a meal for Lent. Normally uh, it's for Lent. So nice and hearty, but, uh, but bland. Yeah. yeah. So that's why we're eating it like... Why does it taste sad? And like, oh, <laughs> that's why. I'm going to I'm going to recommend this as a maybe a seven out of ten. Oh, okay. um, yeah, it could be bumped up to an eight with a little bit more flavor. Uh, Engineer oh. Mike is giving it only a four. Wow, that is strange. Normally, I dislike something and he likes it. Wow. You you recommend adding Cool Ranch to it? Cool Ranch leek casserole? <laughs> oh, yes. You know, just some, some Cool Ranch. Round or... up Takis on the top or something? Yeah, yeah, it'd be great. You know, that in the oven. <laughs> Make a nice little a Baptist casserole <laughs> for it. Day five, our final day, we made another dessert. And this is called a dish of pears. This is the one, I think this is the pinnacle of desserts. We're both divided on this one. This one is another very eggy dessert. Okay, I'm already going to tell you right now. Engineer Mike gives us a 10 out of 10. He loves this. He might go off and marry this dessert. (laughs) This has so many apples, so many pears. Even though it's called a dish of pears, Mm -hmm. there's a lot of apples in this. So it's a bunch of pears and a bunch of apples that you bake sandwiched together with bread. And then you have an egg mixture poured over top of it. And then you bake that in the oven. Is this French toast with pears and apples? Yeah, it's very much like French toast. I took one bite of it and I'm like, I'm going to die. I'm going to have a heart attack eating this. Also, again, bringing you back to the dairy stuff causes a lot of gas. (laughs) I'll just let you know that. Not that it wasn't delicious, Mm -hmm. but this is something that I would have like just a couple of small bites of and say, okay, that's enough for the next like two months. Mm -hmm. It's really good. Again, I will probably give this, I'll give this an eight out of 10. Okay. So it doesn't have the universal acclaim that Sooty Cakes has, but uh, both, both of you rate it pretty high. Yeah, I'll say 8 out of 10 just simply because I can't consume that many pears and apples without exploding. (laughs) It is very, very sweet. Like, it will make your teeth explode. But it is really good. I'm not going to lie and say that this wasn't delicious. Well, that sounds really, really good. I'm I'm glad I have some options to replace this monstrosity that I I slow cooked all night here at the awesome layer north uh, where I am at the moment. All right. When we talked about recommendations before the episode began, you said your recommendations actually were not of a particular thing. My recommendations are going to be slightly different this time. I do have one solid recommendation, but I want to talk about this particular course series. So if you're going to select the Eat Medieval series, my recommendations are going to be to stick to the recipes as closely as possible, to be authentic, to try to experience the recipe for what people back then experienced them as. And I completely understand if you don't have broad beans, you know, get green beans. 
And if you don't want to cook bacon at all hours of the night, you can get a bag of bacon. That's fine. What I mean is don't pull the all recipes commenter BS and say, <laughs> oh, my hubby doesn't like parsnips, so I replaced them with carrots. That's stupid. Don't do that. So that means if you have dietary restrictions, probably want to avoid most of the recipes that I suggested. Mm -hmm. So if you are very lactose intolerant, don't do a dish of pears and don't do the creme bastard. Again, you will die. <laughs> <laughs> if you do want to substitute meat for anything vegan, like Beyond Meat or Impossible Meat, I, I suppose you could do that too. But try to stay as authentic to the recipe as possible. That's my first recommendation. And I'll, I will have a link to the Eat Medieval site mm -hmm. if anyone wants to try. And then my second recommendation, if you would rather not do that and you don't want to cook at all and you would rather do a, a food service instead, I do have a recommendation for that. It is a service that me, myself, and Engineer Mike like to try every now and then called Eat Clean Bro. And this service, I believe it is really specific to just certain areas, like the Atlanta area where we live right now and New Jersey, but it may expand in, in the future. Eat Clean Bro is focused on eating clean, obviously, bro. And they have a lot of different dietary options for you. So if you do have dairy restrictions or if you do eat vegan, or if you are just pure protein, or pure keto, I believe it's called. You can choose from those options as well. So eat clean, bro. I'll have a link to it in our show notes. So my recommendation is actually a YouTube site, a YouTube channel, I suppose they're called. And it's called Shield Maiden in the Kitchen. And there is a medieval historian uh, named Terry Barnes, and she prepares medieval recipes there and shows how to do it. She has been doing it for a few months now, I think. They tend to be Viking-based, you know, Northern Germanic kind of recipes. But if people are interested in pursuing that kind of thing, I would definitely recommend trying Shield Maiden in the kitchen. That might do a lot to scratch the itch. And of course, the great thing too is if someone says, well, I want to cook medieval. As I mentioned before, you know, I mean, we're talking a thousand years really in all sorts of regions around the world with all sorts of different ingredients. If you wanted to put together a feast that was simultaneously very authentic dish by dish, but you paired them with here's a dish from 12th century France versus a dish from 9th century Norway with it, you know, and, and just sort of did it that way. You could probably put together quite an interesting feast, which, which each dish is authentic, but the variety would be something that would fit the modern palate, maybe even a little better. Uh, so mm -hmm. I, I just want to recommend, aside from that specific YouTube channel, is that people just look around at all the different, you know, there's wonderful Arabian cuisine. There's all sorts of different kinds of breads and cheeses and just delightful things. Uh, from around the world that are just absolutely delicious. I think if you were to create a feast with dishes from around the world, you get rid of that problem of it feels bland because in this country at this time, they only had this set of things. People like us who are used to being able to get a cheeseburger, when mm -hmm. you just look at what's on a cheeseburger, you realize a cheeseburger could not have possibly been assembled in the Middle Ages simply because not all of those ingredients could have been there. Uh, you know, we're used to that. And we could do something quite nice, whether it's Christmas or any other time for a feast. So as we wrap things up, do you want to remind our listeners, that is myself, uh, how <laughs> to say Merry Christmas in Old English? Sure. So one way to say Christmas is simply Christmas. 
which was kind of not super cool. One of the ways to say happy or merry would be to say glad. Glad Christmas isn't so cool. But one thing that you could say, which would be authentic, would be to call Christmas Yule. Yule. Mm -hmm. And instead of saying happy, say blithe, which is where our modern English word for blithe comes from. Blithe Yule. Blithe Yule. That's exactly right. So... To you and Engineer Mike and all the listeners, I want to say, Blee the Yule, Nina. And to you and Mrs. Awesome and to our listeners, Blee the Yule, Doc. Pop and Evil was recorded under our Cable Studio. Our hosts are Dr. Richard Scott Noakes and Nina McNamara. Our audio engineer is Engineer Mike. The music is courtesy of Dr. John Jinwright. For more information, visit our website at profawesome.com slash That's P-R-O-F-A-W-E-S-O-M-E dot com slash Thank you for listening. I'm not in the mood right now where I can have that kind of interaction and still be positive and Christmassy. <laughs> I'm in the mood right now for for alcohol, but not in the mood for Christmas cheer. I don't know how that's different than most other days. <laughs>